You are now tuned into The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is sponsored by Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church of Early Texas. Grace Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. Grace Point meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce while their new worship facility is under construction. More information can be found online at pointtolife.wordpress.com or by mailing Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church at P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. That's Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. And now, with this week's study of the scriptures, here's Pastor Leland Acker. As we continue our journey through the Bible, let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, the Bible says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee the tenth unto thee. Jacob had purchased the birthright from Esau. Now, this was something that we studied last week very briefly uh, in the last episode. We studied how Jacob had put together this red bean soup and Esau came in from the field and he was faint and he was hungry and he wanted some of the soup. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And he did for a bowl of soup. When Jacob purchased the birthright, he purchased the position of Isaac's heir meaning that he would inherit Isaac's land and business ventures, but it also meant that he would inherit the promises that God made to Isaac, which were inherited from Abraham. Unlike Esau, Jacob saw the value in being chosen by God to father his nation. Esau saw no value in life beyond the here and now. And now there's a moral lesson here, and there's a scriptural lesson here, in that we have to be able to see the value of eternal things, the value of spiritual things, and not just the value of tangible things that are here in this earth. You see, Jacob 
understood the value of God's promise. He understood the value of inheriting the promises that were made to his father, Isaac. He understood the value of fathering God's nation, of fathering many nations. He understood the value of that, and he understood how important that was. And so Jacob valued that. Esau couldn't see past his next meal, and he was willing to sell it out pretty cheap. And there's a moral depravity in the idea that we should just live for now, or we should just live for today, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's a moral depravity there. There is a moral depravity to not being able to see beyond one's own lifetime. There's a proverb, a, an, an old saying that says that a society grows great when men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. What makes a society great is the idea that people sacrifice for the next generation and work to make life better for their children and for their grandchildren. The complete opposite of that is somebody who consumes everything they can themselves and leaves nothing for their children and does nothing to make the world a better place for their children. There's a certain moral depravity in the live for now ethic. It does not take consideration for eternity. The idea that we should just live for now does not please God. In fact, quite the opposite. Live for now does not live for eternity. Live for now offers little to no obedience to God, little or no regard given to God and his will, and no effort to lead others to faith because we're just trying to enjoy the moment that we're in now. The live for now ethic takes no responsibility. The live for now ethic takes no account for how your life on this earth will affect your children in the following generations. It does not raise children. It does not leave a better world for children. In fact, if everyone were to live for now, if everyone were to just consume the pleasures of this time and not give any consideration to the next life or to the next generation, then the world would be left off worse for the next generations coming up. God is not pleased with the live for now ethic, but God honors you when you value him, when you live for him, and when you work to advance his cause. And so when you look at this in scripture, Esau had no value for the things to come, had no value for eternity, had no value for life after his death on this earth, had no value for what he would leave to his children. I mean, if he valued what he would leave for his children, he wouldn't have sold his birthright for a pot of red bean soup. He had no value for it. Jacob did. And therefore, the, babe, the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God honors it when you value him, when you live for him, and when you work to advance his cause. He hates it when you abandon all responsibility, all consideration of eternity, and all consideration of life beyond your death. And so God honored Jacob because Jacob saw the value in the birthright and the value of the promises that God had made. But Jacob was far from perfect. First of all, when Esau comes in from the field and he is feeling faint and he feels like he's at the point of death, Jacob lowballs him on an offer for his birthright. Yeah, I'll give you something to eat if you give me your birthright. It was a lowball offer and it kind of put Esau between a rock and a hard place. And what led up to Jacob leaving out of Beersheba and headed toward Haran is the fact that he had impersonated Esau in an, in an effort, which was successful, by the way, to get Isaac to bless him. He tricked Isaac into blessing him by impersonating Esau. And so when Esau finds out about this, Esau is murderously angry and he wants to kill Jacob. And Rebekah, their mother, understands this. So Rebekah tells Isaac, 
hey, we need to send Jacob back to my homeland where he can marry one of our people, one of one of one of my relatives back home. So I want to send him up to Haran, and Isaac went along with it, and so Jacob was sent out to go and find a wife of the daughters of Laban. And so Jacob here is essentially running for his life when he finds his place and decides to settle down for the night. Have you ever made bad choices that left your life in limbo? Jacob did, and therefore he was on the run. Doing the right thing the right way always matters. Now, it may have been God's will for Jacob to get the birthright, God may have honored Jacob's value of the things of God. God may have honored Jacob's faith. But Jacob went about things the wrong way, and therefore he messed up. And now he's on the run in our passage today. Doing the right thing the right way always matters. The ends do not justify the means. If you aren't doing the right thing the right way, then you aren't doing the right thing. And that's what Jacob was dealing with in this particular passage. And so we see Jacob here, and he is on the run. Esau wants to kill him, but Jacob has fled to safety. He is sleeping outside in a place called Luz, which means light. And he sets up these stones for his pillows. That sounds good and comfortable, right? And he has this dream, and this is the dream that we refer to as Jacob's ladder. And in this instance, despite the fact that Jacob has royally messed up here, we see God's grace and we see God's forgiveness. And we see that in how he reaffirms his presence and plan with Jacob. We see that in how he reaffirms the covenant with Jacob. And we see that in how he promises to bless Jacob. So let's look at this. God's presence and plan reaffirmed. The first thing God does in this vision is he reaffirms his authority. We look in verses 12 through 13 of Genesis chapter 28 here. Verses 12 through 13, the Bible says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Jacob is given a vision of a ladder that connects heaven to earth. And the angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. They are following the Lord's directives and they're delivering messages. That's what the term angel means. It means a divine messenger. And standing at the top of this ladder is the Lord. He determines who ascends and who descends on the ladder. He's the one that dispatches the angels to depart into the earth with his messages. He's the one that gives the angels his, mar- his marching orders. And he's the one who determines who enters heaven. You see, here you have a ladder here that's reaching into heaven, and standing at the top of this ladder is God. So you're not going to climb this ladder into heaven and go into the golden city the way Jack climbed the beanstalk, okay? You're not going to climb this ladder into heaven because standing at the top of this ladder is God, and you're not going to challenge him. You see, it's God who determines who enters heaven and not us. And so his authority here is being reasserted and reaffirmed. God determines who gets into heaven and who does not. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot force our way into heaven. We cannot manipulate our way into heaven. We get into heaven on God's good graces, and his good graces are obtained when a sinner turns from his sin and places his faith in Jesus Christ. When a sinner sees his sin for what it is, the error and rebellion against God is sorry for that sin, 
wants to continue no longer in that sin, wants to turn away from that sin, leave that sin, and enter into the Lord's presence, and he places his faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that the Lord will receive him based on what he did on the cross, then that sinner is saved, and that sinner will enter into heaven. And that's what God looks at when he determines who gets into heaven and who does not get into heaven. And so if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have assurance that you will be saved, that you will be received into God's kingdom when you die, when you will enter into his presence and live in that paradise that he has prepared for us, if you want that assurance, then this morning, I implore you to turn from your sins and to turn toward the Lord and to trust Jesus Christ to receive you because he took the punishment for your sins on the cross. And you may express this through a prayer, asking God to forgive you and to save you because Jesus died for you. You may express this in a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. The key components of your salvation, though, is that turning from sin and that trusting of Jesus Christ to save you. And you can have that assurance. And the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So once you make that decision and you make that turn and you trust the Lord as your Savior, God creates a new person within you. And he creates a new eternal destiny for you. And he puts a call on your life and he totally changes your life. Now, I didn't think that was going to be the case. When I was saved, when the Lord saved me, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I was told that my life wouldn't be the same. And I thought that that was crazy. I thought that my life would continue as it always had. Get up, go to work, go to bed. Get up, go to work, go to bed. But God has done some things in my life that has made it completely different than it was before I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. The Lord will change you, and he will give you that eternal destiny where you have that assurance that you will enter into heaven. As the Lord stands above that letter to address Jacob, he is reaffirming his authority. If Jacob is to enter the Lord's kingdom, he will go through the Lord, and therefore he'll have to trust the Lord, which means that he will have to obey the Lord. And the same is true for us. If we are to enter the Lord's kingdom, we will enter the Lord's kingdom with the Lord's permission. We will have to go through the Lord to do that. Therefore, we have to trust the Lord to receive us into his kingdom. And that trust breeds obedience. If you trust the Lord, you obey the Lord. And if you obey the Lord, he honors that. And so turn from your sins, trust Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and then obey what his word says. We do those things, the Bible teaches us that we have that assurance that he'll receive us into his kingdom. And so God here, as he stands at the top of this ladder, he is reaffirming his authority. He's also reaffirming his presence. In verse 13, he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. He's the Lord God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham. In fact, he says that many times in scriptures. How many times do we see God introducing himself as the God of Abraham? The thing about being the God of Abraham at this point in scripture, Abraham has passed. He's passed away. He died. He went to be with the Lord many years ago. And when God introduces himself to Jacob, he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham. He didn't say, I was the Lord of Abraham. I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham. He, another way of saying it, he could have said, I am still the God of Abraham. In other words, Abraham was still alive and well in God's presence in heaven, and God was still his God. You see, when Abraham died, God didn't die with him. And when Abraham died, God's promises did not die with Abraham. God's promises were still in effect. God is still living. Abraham is still living, just in a different place. 
and God is still large and in charge. He is still present. He is still active. He is still working. He goes on to say, I am the Lord God of Isaac. He, he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. Isaac being Jacob's immediate father. Isaac was old. He was going blind, but God was still his God, and Isaac still obeyed God. Jacob should too. But what this shows us is not only has, is God still the God of Abraham, Abraham's still alive and God is still up there and still working and Abraham is in his presence, but it also tells us that with him being the God of Isaac, he's still active and present and working with Isaac too, which means God is still doing things on this earth. We have this idea that somehow God has gone silent and God is no longer working in this earth and we people, we, mankind has just been left to his demise. And sometimes it can seem like that when you look at the wars in this world, you look at the political turmoil in this world, you look at what's happening in our cities, the, the riots and the protest and the violent confrontation between different groups of protesters, and you see, the, uh, to the, you see the mistrust of law enforcement, you see the mistrust that law enforcement has toward average citizens in some places and in some parts of the United States, and you look at the tragedies that happen, you look at how children are being victimized in new ways or ways that we're just now starting to find out about. And you look at what's going on in the Middle East, global terror, and you think, man, has God just left us here to our own demise? Are we just kind of spinning out of control on this earth and, and things are just going crazy till God will eventually come back? The answer on that is no. God has not left us to our own demise. He has not forgotten about us. He has not gone back up into heaven on a celestial vacation to leave us alone. God is not a relic and he is not old and outdated. He is not dead. God is present and active, even though it doesn't seem like it. The things that we see that are chaos, the things that we see that are tragic, are things that God is using to line up the earth for where it will be when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth forever. And so the wars and rumors of wars, the earthquakes and natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, and pestilences and all of this happening in multiple places on the earth, which, you know, gives that, that feeling of chaos happening. The false religions and the religious zealots that are popping up everywhere, committing terror in their religion's name. Uh, this is all prophesied in Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew chapter 24 is all about what's going to be happening in the earth when Jesus returns. What God is doing is he is working through the turmoil of this world to set up the return of his son. God is still present and God is still active. You can trust him, you should worship him, and you should obey him. God reaffirms his presence and God reaffirms his plan. We look at the end of verse 13 and the Lord says, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. God made a promise to Abraham that the land that where Jacob was, would be an inheritance to Abraham and to his descendants. And God here in verse 13 saying that he would still follow through on his plan to give Canaan's land to the descendants of Abraham. His plan was undeterred by the passage of time. Sometimes when God makes a promise and a large amount of time passes, we get the idea that God's plan is not going to happen. This is true with Abraham and him having a son that would be his heir. This happened with Abraham and the birth of Isaac. God promised Abraham a son, and a lot of time passed before Abraham had a son, and Abraham began to doubt. 
and asked God if he could make one of his servants his son. And God said, nope, I'm going to give you one from your own bowels, from your own loins. You're going to have a biological son. A lot, of pl- a lot of time had passed, and Abraham wondered if it was going to come true, but it did. The land given for an inheritance didn't happen during Abraham's lifetime, happened during uh, Jacob's la- lifetime, and then again uh, happened during the Exodus, in, in the book of Exodus. And so we get to thinking about the second coming of Christ, and this thing hasn't happened yet. It's been 2,000 years. Christ still hasn't returned, and we get the idea that life is going to continue to go on as normal forever. And it's not the day's coming when the Lord will return and step foot on this earth and will judge the quick and the dead and put an end to sin and destroy all those who would destroy him and his people. The second coming of Christ is still coming, even though it's been a long time. God's plans always come to pass. And so God reaffirms his presence. He also reaffirms the covenant. We look in verse 14 here in Genesis chapter 28. And the Lord says, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a reaffirmation of God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many. And that promise would come through Jacob's descendants. Jacob's descendants would become the nation of Israel. And so God is reaffirming the promise, the covenant, that Abraham would be the father, would be the ancestor of many, and that would come through Jacob. But more importantly, this verse reaffirms the promise of the Savior. He says at the end of verse 14, he says, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a repeating, a reinstatement of the promise from Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, where the Lord told Abraham, And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the promise that not only would he be the father of many, the ancestor of many, not only would he be the father of a great nation, in in Abraham's case, many nations, but this is the promise that in his seed, one of his descendants would bless the families and the nations of the world. And this is the promise that that one who would bless the families and the nations of the world would be a descendant of Jacob as well. And that one who would bless the nations and the families of the world would be the Savior, would be Christ. Christ blessed the families of the earth. How did he do that? He came to earth. He lived the human experience. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. What that means is that he went through all the different things that we go through. The Lord was tempted by Satan. He was tempted to sin. He was tempted to turn away from God. And we're tempted to do that every day. The Lord was also tested. He went through trials and tribulations. He went through hard times. He went through times of poverty. He went through times when there wasn't enough food. The Lord went through times when he had to work extra hard. The Lord went through long work days. The Lord worked himself till he was exhausted. The Lord knows what it's like to be tired. The Lord was betrayed. He knows what it's like to have somebody stab you in the back. The Lord was rejected. He knows what it's like to feel like the entire world has turned its back on you. Whatever it is that you go through in life, betrayal, being unloved, being rejected, being in poverty, being tired, worn out, being discouraged, bereavement, losing a loved one to death, 
whatever it is that you go through, the Bible tells us that the Lord himself went through that, yet he went through that with sin. Therefore, he is able to hear our prayers and answer our prayers because he knows what it's like and he's been there. And so Christ came. He lived the human experience. He taught us for three and a half years, gave us his word in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then when that ministry was complete, he went to the cross where he bore God's wrath on our behalf so that we don't have to endure God's wrath if we turn away from our sin. He died for the sins of the world and for your sins personally when he hung on that cross. He hung on that cross. He gave his life on that cross. He was buried. And then he rose again the third day, conquering the grave, thus making resurrection possible for all of us. And now he lives to make intercession for us. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He pleads our case on our behalf, and that's how he keeps us saved. And all of this is freely given upon your repentance and your faith in him. And God reaffirms the covenant. This is what Christ would do. And Christ would come through the nation of Israel, which would be Jacob's descendants. And this is what God is telling him as he stands on top of that ladder, speaking to Jacob as he lays there with his head on that pillow stone. And so God reaffirmed the covenant. And then God promised to bless Jacob. We look in verse 15 here in Genesis chapter 28. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God promised to be with Jacob to bless him and to bring him home again. God promised to protect Jacob. God promised to prosper Jacob. God promised to be a presence in Jacob's life and to keep him comforted and to keep him encouraged. And God promised to bring him back into his father's house in peace. And moreover, God promised to bring him into his house in peace. God promised to be with us until the end of the world. In Matthew 28, 20, the Lord said, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. God stays with us as he transforms our lives. He stays with us as we do his will. And he stays with us until it's all over. And after it's all over and he returns to this earth, then we stay with him. You see, whatever God is doing in your life, whether you are going through a tough transition time right now, whether you're enduring some pretty traumatic things, whether you are dealing with running out of money, financial ruin, financial loss, whether you are dealing with the emotional pain of the loss of a loved one, whether you are dealing with conflict within your life, uh, within your family, within your work life, maybe you're in a place this morning where your future is uncertain. God has not abandoned you. God uses times like this to transform us into the persons he intends on us being, and he is with us through the transformation process. And what I can tell you and what scripture teaches us is that when we come out on the other side of this transformation process, we will be more blessed by God then than we have ever been before in this life. It's kind of like a woman having a baby. She goes through the labor pain. She goes through the suffering that goes along with having a baby. But when she has that baby, she has got this beautiful little human being in her arms, her, her own flesh and blood there, her child, her son, or her daughter. And the joy that engulfs her in that moment outweighs any of the pain that she has gone through. And I can't promise you or tell you how long 
your transition, your transformation, your pain and suffering is going to take. But I can promise you when you come out on the other side of this, you're going to have a proverbial baby. And it's going to be one that you're going to feel blessed to have and one you're going to be happy to show off. God stays with you through the transformation. He stays with you as you do his will. And when all of this is over, God's going to receive us into his presence and we'll stay with him. God promises blessings. In verses 20 and 21, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Jacob here in verses 20 and 21 of Genesis chapter 28 is making a commitment to the Lord. Will you make a commitment to the Lord? Have you turned from your sins and trusted him as savior? If you have, have you committed to living your life for him and serving him and honoring and glorifying him? If not, today's the day to make that rededication. May God bless you. May God keep you. Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce, Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11. We would love to see you. Come out and visit us. And in the meantime, we'll keep you in our prayers and hope that God blesses you in a special way. God bless you. Amen. You've been listening to The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is a radio ministry of Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, which meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., at the Early Chamber of Commerce, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off Highway 377, next to Pate's Hardware. Mail to P.O. Box 3134, Early, Texas, 76803. May God bless you and thank you for listening.